What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode 24 of the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And Pat, in a relatively slow sports week, we're going to do a mixed bag here of some baseball news and some Villanova basketball mega news. I'm hyped up about it. Mega news is the correct way to frame the Villanova basketball stuff. But yeah, you've got baseball season slowly ramping up, of course, in week one. We had the Masters over the weekend, which was really Mm. fun to watch and put a little bit of normalcy, you know, to put it back in that April time slot rather than the November. But yeah, I wouldn't say anything other than that really massive happened. Yeah. Uh, my number is some NBA news, which was unfortunate, but we can get to that when it comes. And then we're going to have <laughs> oh, NFL no. draft stuff. That I can't wait weeks. for. Yeah, I'm yes. excited for I'm, that too. I'm a little scared, though. You framed it as unfortunate. Well, it's an injury. It's an injury number. Yeah, yeah. I think I might know where you're going with that, but yeah, yeah not, maybe. not great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we get into it, let's do our weekly new followers let's on Instagram it. and Twitter. We had Francisco Castro. Jake Komarowski, left side heavy of the podcast. That's Jevin. Thank you for throwing Ooh. us that follow. Had a bunch Bebe of fun Baseball on that show. podcast. Yeah, he did. That was awesome. No crying in baseball. New gray area out now. Jarf. Thank you. The short news podcast. Denim Dungeon. Lucas Weiss. In the deep fantasy baseball mismanaged podcast. And Sly Hooper, along with Brendan Hay, another Woo! Zang relative. Yes. Thank, and Elizabeth thank you very Williams. Much. And Elizabeth a Nova Williams, grad. too. I know some great company there. Great the company. <laughs> so thank you both and to everyone who followed along with the show this week. Yeah, as always, we appreciate it. If you want to get in on the action, make sure to make sure to throw us a follow on Instagram or Twitter, and we'll shout you out on next week's episode. And if you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and put your name in the bio, then that's you important. can pick our next best of segment. So that's really fun too. Get in on that, and thank you, as always, for all the support. Absolutely, yeah. Same sentiment here. Thank you so much for joining our Did You Hear family. Love it. All right, should we get into baseball? We're about, what, nine days, maybe? I told Pat this morning I wanted to do way too early award p- predictions, and he said, <laughs> uh, nine days in might be a little bit premature because my MVP would have been Akil Badu, Pat. Oh, has I love to be. him. Just picked him up in fantasy today, by the way. Really, really? thrilled to have him slot Ooh. into the outfield. Was surprised he was still available. So, I don't, boys, I don't know what you're doing there. But uh, I happily <laughs> took him. I just picked up I picked up Nate Lowe on the Rangers. Oh, yeah, really solid start. on an absolute tear. And I think it's already done. So, he might be back on the waiver wire soon because oh. he struck out three times yesterday. So, not not a long time. It's uh, a short out. leash for me. What about Yerman Mercedes? I haven't picked him up. Uh, I don't think he's available. Probably as a catcher, difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult to get a lot of value from them, so I'm sure yeah. he got picked up real quick. Uh, he was hitting 588 as of last week. He has plummeted down to 500 right now. So <laughs> Come on, not, man. <laughs> yeah, not not sure he's going to be able to to really ever get back to that height of 588. Very wow. unfortunate. He's in a big slump. So cool, though. So, so <laughs> it's cool. great. I love yeah. the stories that baseball has given us so far. Yeah. All right, tell everyone what we're going to do instead. Yeah, (laughs) instead we are kind of going to walk through some of our top performers from both position players and pitchers in the National and American League, and then as well as just one thing that has really stuck out and surprised us so far. Yeah, I'm psyched. So let's start with AL positional player. 
And I think mine is going to surprise you because the easy pick here would have been J.D. Martinez, Mm -hmm. who has been on a historical offensive tear. But I'm going to save some of his stats for my surprising piece a bit later. I am instead going to go with the Orioles center fielder, Cedric Mullins. God, I love a little bit of Orioles praise. Right? And he deserves it because I'll say some of his numbers and then I'll end with why this is so important. He has the ninth highest OPS in the league. And while Paul Hembikidis undervalued the <laughs> the importance of OPS, I think it is still worth noting. He also leads the league in hits. He's tied for third in doubles. He has two stolen bases. And the most important thing is that he's 26 years old. Yep. The reason why this matters so much is because the Orioles are always on the hunt for young positional players that they can plug into their lineup for production. They have it in Trey Mancini. They think they have it in Ryan Mountcastle, who's a favorite for AL Rookie of the Year. They think they have it in their top prospect, Adley Rutschman, one of the top prospects. Can't wait to watch him play. In all of baseball, right? So they have those guys, and then they're just trying to find other talent. And Cedric Mullins, so far, yes, it's early, and yes, you expect his offense to decline a bit down the stretch, but I think he could be a long-term option for the Orioles. And right now, Austin Hayes is on the IL. I'm actually not sure when he's supposed to come back, but Mm. I think Mullins has pretty much locked down his spot even when Hayes comes back. Yeah, it's quite the impressive start from him. And what's interesting is that he's never... So he came up in 2018 for, for his big league debut. The most games he's ever played in a season is 48. Yes. Which was last year. So we've never really gotten to see a, you know, a strong sample of what he can do. Now, of course, we're saying that while he's been through nine games, but you have to be really impressed with what you're seeing so far. And even last year in those 48 games, he hit 270, which yeah. is, you know, a clip that many, many teams will take as we get in that, you know, three true outcome type league that baseball has turned into with the strikeout walk home run. You know, a guy that puts the ball in play and can hit 270 is honestly pretty valuable nowadays. His issue is that the on-base percentage was very low. Uh, you know, 315, you definitely want to see it higher than that. Especially for a leadoff guy. Exactly. So I would say that that's kind of the big thing. I mean, he's definitely addressed it through nine games, being that it's 512 <laughs> yes. at the moment right now. But as you said, I am I like to see it from the Orioles. It's funny. I They have been really bad for a long time. We all know that. Uh, I, I think you're starting to see a little bit you know, for, for players that they look at, you, you mentioned Mountcastle. We love John Means. We were talking yeah. about it before before the podcast. Adley Rushman's the guy that I just cannot wait to see get to the bigs and see what he can really do because he has been so highly touted. Honestly, he sounds exactly like Matt Weeders when he was an mm. Orioles prospect. Hopefully, he can turn into a little bit better player of Weeders. And that's not to say that Weeders was bad or anything, but I know the Orioles are looking for more of that star. Yeah. So I, I think Mullins is definitely a guy to look at as possibly another building block as, as Baltimore moves forward. I 100% agree. And he's doing everything that they need right now. And I honestly think that buzz started with the way that the Orioles started last year, too. Mm -hmm. They were in contention for a wild card spot for probably a little less than half of the year, which nobody expected. The Marlins went out and made the playoffs. Yes. So anything can happen. I don't know. I don't think Trey Mancini is going to be around for much longer. I think we both agree that that has been the best storyline in baseball. Oh, my God, by far. Period. Yes. Yes. Uh, But I think on the field, Cedric Mullins has been one of the most promising guys so far. 
Besides yeah. means, maybe besides means. Yeah, I think what you've seen of means is really exciting on the on the pitcher side. Yeah, but yeah, the, there has been a little bit of progress from Baltimore, and I honestly think that's all you can ask for from them because it has been just some horrific years. So if you could at least see a little bit of light in some of the players and know who to build around, that that's all Baltimore is looking for. Yeah, and Adley is their guy. He is the Adley beacon of is hope the guy. For all, yes, all he he really is. So let's get him to the majors in May, and let's see, just like Bobby Witt. And yeah. let's uh let's really see what they got. But and I, Wander Franco. Sorry. And one yes, no, no, you're hundred percent right. Man, I hope we see him this year. A part yeah. of me fears he won't come up this year, but he should be number one prospect in all baseball with Tampa. Uh so talking about great hopes of organizations, my American League position player has been a great hope of the Minnesota Twins for what feels like years. Was one of the top prospects in all of baseball. I believe he was top three when he came up in two thousand and fifteen, and that is their center fielder. Byron Buxton. Now, this is a guy I have believed in, I have touted for years, and he just has never been able to put it together offensively. We talked about it on the podcast and in preview stuff. His defense is almost second to none in center field, and how much I love pairing him with Andrelton Simmons about that, you know, defensively. But offensively so far, I think you have to be really, really excited. You know, in just 39 games last year, he hit 13 home runs, which is a very nice pace to see him go at. Through eight, he has five so yeah. far. He's also hitting at 481. He has really cut down on the strikeout percentage as well, which is huge because that's something that he has really struggled with. I love what you're seeing out of Byron Buxton. Is he going to hit 480 this season? Absolutely not. But, it, you know, he is showing signs of life of the player that the Twins thought he was going to be when he first came up here in that age 27 season. I still think there's a lot of untapped potential in him. And if the Twins are going to make a run, he's going to be a huge part of that. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the thing is, he was just fine without all of this offensive power. He got MVP votes last year, by the way. He was so valuable to this team because he is one of the best defenders in the league, period. Not just one of the best center fielders, one of the best defensive players in the league. And now he's leading the league in slugging percentage and OPS. That is a pretty good way to mesh two of the the biggest parts of the game together. He's also a base-stealing threat. He's also a huge mentor to all of the younger players on the Twins team. I agree with you. The White Sox have been trending down, in my opinion, and the Twins have been trending up. And if, Mm -hmm. uh, yes, Byron Buxton's, this offense is not going to be sustainable. But if he is just better than he was in his past, what, five years, did you say? Four years? Yeah, 2015's when he came up. That's a huge improvement. And the Twins have enough offensive firepower without him. So anything he adds is just a bonus. Yeah. No, you're right. Let's go through it. Josh Donaldson's on IL right now. Yes. So, I mean, you put all these pieces together with a Buxton firing over what he's been. And like I said, last year, he started to show some signs of it. The problem with him is that, again, the average is usually low. The on-base percentage is usually low. He is very much a power-speed combination. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're seeing them put it together a little more, I like that the, the twins are good. It's that the white Sox are so good, but Minnesota has a real legit shot at the playoffs here. And at, Wilson, we talked about it. I think this race is going to be the best one to watch all year Yeah, in the American so. league. Yeah. The, the American league central is going to be phenomenal between those two teams. Yeah. And the White Sox are the, are the sneaky pick because of all their young guys, because of Tony La Russa, all that people forget that the twins broke the major league record for home runs two years <laughs> ago do. you yes. know it's just the 
the overall goodness of this team, and it's also because they just cannot get over that playoff hump. That is when we will be able to really talk about this team, when Byron Buxton could lead this team to a playoff win. That's when we'll know. Uh, Just as you talk about the offense and such, Nelson Cruz is 40 years old and is hitting 444 with four home runs. No big deal. How did no one sign him? (laughs) How did they let him go back to the Twins? Like All the man does is hit. But no, it's you're, unbelievable. You're, you're right on the postseason. It that's what it all comes down. Well, first off, they have to avoid the Yankees because obviously the Yankees just completely own them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes, it, this will come down to the postseason for the Twins. Yeah, but in the meantime, we can continue to watch Nelson Cruz and Byron Buxton and Max Kepler and Jose Barrios and Kenta Maeda. And I, can I go on. love watching this team. They yeah. they have been a they're team good. I've just found myself watching on the MLB package, just tuning yeah. into their games because they're that much fun. Yeah, I like that. All right, so talking about teams that are fun to watch, I'm going to switch to the Toronto Blue Jays for my Mm. AL pitcher. And one of the takes that I am most proud of is that I firmly believe the Blue Jays will not make the playoffs. And you know that I think that, and you know that I think it's because their pitching isn't enough. I'd like to note that I firmly believe the Blue Jays will make the playoffs. The only (laughs) way they are going to make the playoffs is if their 2-5 to starting pitcher options... Turn into, <laughs> I don't even I don't even know what the end of that sentence is. No, Something you're completely better right. than the 2016 version of Robbie Ray. Hmm. But 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 but, Hunter Ryu is a top three pitcher in the AL right now. He has been unbelievable, and it's not just that his ERA hasn't been lower than two seven since 2018. It's not just that. It's not just that he's finished second and third in Cy Young voting in the last three seasons. No, no, no. It's that he barely throws it in the 90s, and he still has hitters swinging and missing at an unbelievable rate. It's the same thing with Kyle Hendricks, with other guys around the league who you don't have to throw 99 miles per hour to be a a good pitcher. You can be like Ryu, you can have an insane arsenal, and you can throw 84 miles per hour and make hitters look foolish. If he stays healthy for the entire year, then maybe, maybe the Blue Jays can get over the hump. I still think they can't. I still think they can't. But I will say that Ryu has quelled any longevity issues that he had when he hit free agency when the Dodgers let him walk, which they shouldn't have done. He has been out there. He has been throwing so many innings. His numbers have been insane. He is the best, so far, the best pitcher in the AL. I think overall top three pitcher in the AL behind Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber. Mm, I like that. Yeah, listen, that's the thing. First off, I love how you framed it with him, that he shows you don't need to throw 101 to be incredibly effective. The, The guy just knows how to pitch. He's able to hit his spots so well. He limits walks, which is the biggest thing. He's got a 12 to 1 walk rate right now, which is insane. Yes, we're through 12 innings, but that's crazy to try to extrapolate that out. As you said, the biggest thing with Ryu is always health. I mean, the the most he's pitched is 180 innings, 182 innings in a season. Uh, Last year, obviously, is no indication on that, being that there were only 60 games. But if he stays healthy for this full year, He's going to be a monster for them. It's that That's simple because he is always a monster when he pitches. It's just, can he stay on the field? And I'm I'm going to say yes. 
this yeah. year. I, I don't. He stayed healthy last season, so I, I would say why wouldn't he stay healthy this season? I, I think if that is the case, that is a very exciting prospect for Toronto. Yeah, and it's just the offense is going to be fun to watch no matter what. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is insane right Springer now. Springer hasn't even played yet. Springer hasn't even played. Bobachet's going to come along. Kevin Biggio is hitting sub 200. He might even be sub 150 right mm-hmm. now. He's going to come along. Semyon's going to be better. You see, we mentioned last week, Randall Gritchick is probably going to see more <laughs> bench when George Springer comes, and he's the best hitter on that team right now. So they have Definitely. so many weapons, and Hunju Ryu is just such an unbelievable ace for them right now. I think it's the perfect tandem. He is. I listen, I just want to see Nate Pearson pitch for them. Yes. That, that's the high-ceiling guy that can really propel this team, in my opinion. So. Good call. We, uh, Steven Matz has also pitched great for them through the first yeah, two shockingly. weeks of the season. Uh, let's shock as someone that has watched like every start in the man's career. I am shocked, but very happy for him. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I'm going to stick in the American League East as well when I spotlight a pitcher, and that is going to be Tyler Glass now, someone that you spotlighted in our baseball preview. I mean, what a start to the season for Glass now. A .46 earned run average in his first three games. 19 and two-thirds innings pitched, 29 strikeouts, and my favorite stat of it all, a .51 whip. He's coming off of a 14-strikeout performance uh, a couple days ago. (laughs) It's the same thing we talked about with Ryu, except, of course, Glass now kind of ramps up the dominance. He is filthy. He is an ace, but it's when he's on the mound. He just has to stay healthy, and we have seen that through three starts. Yeah, you hit everything I wanted to say. I <laughs> Thank you for the props, too. Of course, you deserve if, it. If he is that ace, this takes the Rays to the next level. And they've been struggling so far. But Tyler Glass now, maybe he's the fourth best, best pitcher in the AL. Like, maybe. He is that <laughs> good, and he's so young, and he's barely been able to prove himself. So I think we're just scratching the surface of what Glass now can be. And he has a velocity. He has the filth, like you mentioned. He is going to be insane. His his figure, he's so tall and lanky. Yes. It's crazy. He is really, really fun to watch. His release point's tough for hitters to pick up. Yeah. Just with those that long body and those long arms. It is not a straight-on type thing. Uh, no. So he, he is really difficult. That breaking ball looks great. We all know about all the life on the fastball. You just you hope he can stay healthy because yeah. you've seen it since he made that trade from Pittsburgh to Tampa, how electric this arm is, and I just hope we get to see it play out through the entirety of the season. Me too. Me too. And the Rays' slim playoff hopes anyways very much depend on it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we did the AL position player and pitcher. Shall we move to NL position player? You can go first. Oh, nice. So NL... I didn't want to do the super obvious one, but I just, you can't avoid it. You you just can't. And it was someone that was mentioned in passing as who was, you know, playing very well on the Braves while the rest of that Braves offense has been struggling. It's Ronald Acuna. It's just Ronald Acuna. And the fact that he has really ignited what could possibly be an MVP campaign mm. with a straight up ridiculous start to this season. I mean, he's hitting 450. His OPS plus is almost three times league average. You heard that correctly. Three times league average. We know how great of a center fielder he is. He's added in the pop with the four home runs. He he is one of the faces of baseball. 
he, he yeah. really is. And he has gotten off to an incredible start. And I know uh, Jim Bowden said this in, in his article on The Athletic today. He And I agree with him. He has a legit shot at the 40-40 club with 40 mm. home runs and 40 stolen bases, which would just be incredible to see and so great for baseball. So, I mean, he's three stolen bases already for him to go with the four home runs. This is good for baseball to see Ronald Acuna Jr. get off to this kind of start. I'm looking at it now. In 2019, he had 37 stolen bases. Yep. I think, yeah, he, he had 41 he 30, 30. homers yeah, he and came up 37 short on 40, stolen bases. 40. Yep. And that's only because he was hurt. He spent an extended time on the injured list, if I'm correct. I think that happened, and that's the only why, reason why. But can I just say, ever since he won the Rookie of the Year in 2018, the year after 2019, he finished fifth in MVP voting. And then in 2020, a quote-unquote down year by his standards when he still got a silver slugger, he finished 12th in MVP voting. I sincerely believe that he has a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He feels like he is working against the odds here, even though I have just listed off all of his accolades so far. Everybody's been talking about Fernando Tatis Jr., Everybody's been talking about Juan Soto. Everybody's been talking lately about how well Vladdy has been playing. Ronald Acuna is on the scene this year saying, wait a minute, let's bring the focus back to me. And what I think encompasses it perfectly is that he beat out a routine ground ball against the Phillies on Sunday night. Were you watching that game? Yes. Oh my God. That plays, as you said, a routine ground ball to short. I think it was the first play of the game. I think it was the top of the first, correct? I believe so. And th- what what potentially Acuna's downfall was, was effort. And I, that, <laughs> it's kind of tough because it's like effort and attitude. What I'm thinking of is when he was kind of strolling out of the box and ended up only getting a double when it could have been a triple and Brian Snicker benched him the next day, and it was yep, all this I stuff. That. Yep. Since then, he has not had one incident like that. In fact, he has beating out routine ground balls to the shortstop. So he has been doing everything perfectly. I think he's using all of these top five, top ten MVP finishes as just ammunition to what he can be this year and in the future. The single-handedly biggest bargain position player oh my contract God. in baseball being that he assigned at just a hundred million dollars he's a 300 million dollar player um and uh, so the braves definitely got away with a good one there but luckily for him it's seven years so he will hit free agency still in his prime which is uh, crazy <laughs> yeah so we'll see how much money he makes off of that but it's kind of crazy that he's at the hundred million dollars and then ozzy albies is at 35 million dollars yeah. as a total is one of the better second basemen in the sport as well i don't know who negotiates the contracts for the braves but that guy's got to get that guy's got the most job security in the world basically two of the craziest deals in all of the league and they're both on the braves yeah they're it's both insane. Braves position players yeah it is insane he would be right in that conversation with Tatis and Soto for oh absolutely three hundred and fifty plus for sure yeah all right so I'm I go I'm going with another young guy in the NL let's do it it's Zach McKinstry I love that so much and his name really just popped into my head because I've been watching a lot of the Dodgers game similar to what you said who did, uh, the Twins when you said you just turned them on mm-hmm. on MLB TV that's what I do for the Dodgers for obvious reasons yes and lately Bellinger has been on the IL Mookie Betts has missed a few games. Julio Urias is obviously must-see TV. Trevor Bauer is must-see TV. But when I'm lacking 
without Bess and Bellinger, I am getting it from Zach McKinstry right now. He, this kid, he literally had seven plate appearances in 2020 in a pretty much locked down roster from last year, and he has already made himself indispensable as a nine hitter on this Dodgers team. I just, I wanted to make that my first point because if you want to see playing time on the Dodgers, think about how good you have to be. And already, McKinstry has 31 plate appearances, batting 321. His on-base percentage is 355 as a nine-hitter. He has an inside-the-park home run. He has a power. He had a two-run knock the other day. He has it all, and I just can't believe how valuable he has made himself to this team. Of course, when Betts comes back, of course, when Bellinger comes back, he's going to see that playing time dwindle. But to know that you have an option like him off the bench... 29 other teams in the league would kill for that so it's so funny i'm not even going to mention or not even going to fully focus on mckinstry this is more about the dodgers as a whole yes we Homegrown all talent exactly that is exactly where i'm going with it we all know that they have the capabilities to go full death star and you know go out there and spend the money they did it with mookie bets they're going to do it with Corey seager newsflash he's not going anywhere else he's staying in la <laughs> so. um but look at like the 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 ability to find talent, to identify talent, to develop talent, nobody does it like the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mac Muncy picked up off, off the scrap heap. Justin Turner, the first yeah. time, was picked up off the scrap heap. Gavin Lux is a prospect that they've developed. Austin Barnes, they've turned into quite the player. You think of all the pit, that whole pitching staff with, you talk about Urias, May, Raderall, Gonsolin. Yeah. These are not super high-profile guys. They develop. They have a deep farm system that they're then able to trade when they need to make a move. They were able to do it with Alex Verdugo, sending him to mm-hmm. Boston for, for in the bets trade. There is no organization in baseball. There may not be an organization in sports run better than the Los Angeles Dodgers. And it is fully personified through the Zach McKinstries of the world that they are just able to find these players to step in and make an impact. It's genuinely incredible. Yeah, that is definitely going to be our recast when we post this. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel really passionately about that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Andrew Friedman is one of the best executive in sports. It's it's, not even close. It's so crazy to see what he did with Tampa while he was there. Of course, he turned them into a winner. Uh, you know, being with the Rays. And then you add him to the vast resources of what the Dodgers did after the McCord sale uh, mm-hmm. with new ownership coming in. And you gave that intelligence to this type of resources and you have turned it into the best team in baseball. It's just the perfect niche. When I was doing all my baseball previews in March, I was just talking about how insane it is, it is. to have a team at this high quality of major league talent and then to also have a farm system that is uber talented you see it with the Padres and the Dodgers mm-hmm. so it, it becomes more common and also it brings down the uniqueness of it but we can't take for granted how crazy it is that all those guys that you lift listed off are homegrown <laughs> talents and the Dodgers have the resources the financial flexibility and the roster spots to go out and get the reigning NL Cy Young winner in Trevor Bauer, or at the time, the reigning AL MVP in Mookie Betts, and ammunition, or a depth piece in a former Cy Young winner in David Price, who's not even in the starting rotation because of how loaded the Dodgers are. So you said it perfectly. Andrew Freeman deserves all the props in the world, and Zach McKinstry is the perfect 
microcosm of what hmm. the Dodgers represent and their entire system from their best player in Mookie Betts to their lowest prospect in whoever it is who will probably be a major league star in five years. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate it. And yeah, it's just, it's crazy. Like that's yeah. the simplest way to put it. It's crazy how well run they are. When you see how incompetent a lot of these organizations yes. can be and how much they can struggle with developing talent or identifying talent. The, and then you just see it to what is basically an art form that the Dodgers yeah. have turned it into. It's It's incredible. Yeah, and I mean, we gave some praise and some hope to the Orioles, but how long have they been bad for? Mm-hmm. Too many years. The Pirates are on a long track. The Rockies are on a long track. The Mariners haven't been successful in a decade haven't plus. Haven't made the playoffs in 20 years. Yeah. yeah, so it is insane for the Dodgers to be doing what they're doing. That being said... AJ Preller still wins executive of the year this year. Oh God. I love what the Padres are doing off to a hot start as well, which is really fun to see. All right. Moving into national league pitchers. Then, I mean, you knew where I was going with this. There's only one way I can go with this and that is Jacob deGrom. You had to, you have to, he continues to add to his hall of fame argument. It is going to be something to follow throughout the rest of his career at age 33. Remember, he came up as a 26-year-old, so it is not as long a career as many Major League Baseball players have. But out of the gate so far, remember, it's only two starts due to the Mets basically playing no games this season (laughs) with COVID and rain. He is off to a .64 ERA in 14 innings. He has 21 strikeouts in those 14 innings. He has allowed one run. He has walked two hitters he has an era plus averages 100 his era plus is 604 (laughs) you 604 there's nobody like him it's jacob Degrom. pat i hate to do this to you (laughs) i really do but what's his win-loss record don't say we don't we don't talk about that okay it has to be said what are the mets doing right now so that's why actually- can't they put any support behind their hall of famers <laughs> eight inning performance so that's actually one of the most hysterical some may say uh mind-numbing others may say and just downright terrifying mets fans may say the yeah. new york mets are under 500 in jacob Degrom starts it's over the last couple years quite literally unfathomable his era since 2018 right so we'll counter in this year it obviously doesn't change too much but 0. 0.64 2.3 2.4 1.7 i'm speechless i'm speechless <laughs> it, it <laughs> doesn't make sense it yeah. doesn't make sense it, it there's not been a more hard luck pitcher in, in the sport in a while in, in my opinion i'd love to do an actual deep dive into those numbers but for just the brilliance that is Jacob deGrom, for the fact that his most wins in a season or his best record is 15 and 10. Yeah. Now, I don't put too much stock into pitcher win loss, but just it's jarring for someone that has been this dominant for this long. No, it, it has nothing to, and it's not going to have any effect on his Hall of Fame career. No, I don't like think that. so I just either. Had, it is just worth mentioning because it's such an insane stat. I had a... Oh, man, the funniest tweet I saw this week. I wish I remember who it was so I could give credit. But it was, Jacob deGrom's Hall of Fame speech is going to be so short. 
because he has absolutely nobody to thank. <laughs> As a Met fan, that both him. makes me laugh and cry. Right? Um, you but, thought this was this year was going to be different, and so far the only thing that has stayed the same is Jacob deGrom's excellence. So just a quote that I think really encompasses all of this is from Trevor May after you know his first game as a Met opening oh, day against yeah. the Phillies. was So this is his first game in the Mets organization. And it was, quote, we can't rely on Jake to do everything for us. Yeah. And that, that was when is... he had a, an RBI double or something, yep. right? Two yep. RBIs. He actually has more hits in Jacob deGrom starts than Michael Conforto currently does, if we want to throw <laughs> that fun number out there as well. Um, just, I, I think more and more people are coming around to the fact that Jacob deGrom is on another planet as everyone else. Yeah. It genuinely makes me mad when people try and say Garrett Cole is better. It's not an insult to Garrett Cole at all. It is that Jacob Degrom is on an is is a different planet of pitching, yeah. and, and that is where he is. It's just he gets no support, and it's terrible. No, win loss is not a stat. Quarterback wins is not a stat. Yep. Nothing of the sort. But it is just insane, and the Mets need to start doing something differently because this is not what Jacob. Dr- this is not what we should be talking about. We should be talking about his whiff rate. And his really low home run per nine ratio and his strikeouts, it's not that the Mets can't hit and give him support to save their lives. You could have set me off and just let me do a whole podcast on this, and I could have. So I'm trying to rein it in as much as I can. Uh, I I hope it is different. And Michael Conforto's going to come along. Alonzo's going to come along. Even Lindor, I think, has probably disappointed based on expectations. But at least DeGrom is there. Exactly. There's at least him. He can opt out after 2022. It's going to be something to watch mm. uh, going forward. But man, is it? It's just incredible to. I said the Dodgers, you know, uh, development and identification is an art. Watching him pitch is legitimately an art. Oh, I like that. Maybe Steve Co- Steve Cohen is certainly trying to follow in Andrew Friedman's steps. I think he mentioned Friedman by he name did. in his presser, he right? He said yeah. he said the the model organization that he wants to turn the New York Mets into into following is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. Couldn't be more true. Yep. Okay, so you're talking about the the art, the master <laughs> of pitching, and Jacob Degrom. I'm going with another Jake, and it probably isn't somebody you would have expected if we're going players and pitchers of the week. I'm going to talk about Jake Arietta, Pat, <laughs> because it is something about being back at Wrigley that just bodes well with Jake Arietta. I'm laughing because if you'll recall from a couple episodes ago, I said Jake Arietta should no longer be in Major League Baseball. Yes, you did. Strongly. I did. Oh, listen, I stand. Listen, I, I will not hide behind my takes. Um, I, I'm very surprised by the the start through 12 innings for him so far uh yeah i don't want to steal any of your thunder so you get into it all right so we just talked about how pitcher wins aren't a stat but jake arietta is 2-0 he's thrown 12 innings given up three earned runs he struck out nine but the most important thing of all besides his 1-4-1-7 whip which has got to be one of the best in the league he has not given up one home run I can't believe that. Everybody has talked about how his velocity has been dropping at an extraordinary rate. He wouldn't be worthy of a five spot on the Pittsburgh Pirates starting rotation. That's where we were. His He couldn't s- strike people out. He always gave up the long ball. And Jake Arietta has not given up one single 
home run. It's crazy. I'm happy for him. I love seeing that. I love seeing a pitcher return back to when he was a Cy Young winner, when he was sixth in MVP voting in that 2016 year, basically threw the team on his back when the Cubs won the World Series. Well, there were actually a lot of other contributing (laughs) pieces, but he was a huge part of that. It's cool to see Jake Arrieta try and find that form, at least through his first two starts. Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm going to be a little bit of a bad human being here. Um, but I will say, yes, yeah, so like the home run wise, I think is the huge stat you pull out of it. That it's he has a not big deal. That, that Zero is, home runs. I do want to spotlight that, that. That is a very big deal. I do want to say that he does have a whip over 1-4 and yeah. hits per nine at 10. So yes. I think he's maybe dealing with a little bit of luck um, when it comes into it that he's just been able to pitch out of these situations so far. But we saw him in Philly. It was downright bad and ugly a lot of the time, and it has not been like that so far with the Cubs. As you said, maybe a bit of a part of it is just returning where he's comfortable, you know, going yeah. going back with the Cubs, which is, is very cool for him. Uh, I wish him nothing but the best. I do fear that he's in for a, a good portion of regression, but <laughs> it's great to see where he is through a week. At least he started off hot. Exactly. And six... Of their 10 games have come against the Pirates. Yeah, that helps as well. (laughs) That helps. (laughs) And they're still under 500, by the way. Yes, yes, that is true. But at least Jake Arrieta is 2-0. It's a good, it's a feel-good story to to see him be able to pitch through that. I completely agree. All right, so let's finish up baseball before we move over to Villanova. Tell me, what's the best thing you've seen so far? What's the most surprising thing you've seen so far over this mm. first week plus? So we could probably do a whole podcast on this. Yes. I think that, well, I bet you don't, this is different than what I said before. Um, <laughs> one of the big takeaways from the season is the umpiring blunders through the first week. Oh, man. With Michael Conforto's, el- Michael Conforto's elbow, which was a complete joke of a call, and that is coming mm-hmm. from a Mets fan, uh, as well as the debacle on Sunday night with the Alex Bohm slide into home. Mm-hmm. But I will take this on a positive note. Good, Pat. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. See, I told you I'm trying. Um, yeah. And the positive, most surprising thing for me is that the San Diego Padres have their first no-hitter in 8,205 games. As Long jo- time coming. As Joe Musgrove, someone that we highly touted how great of a pickup this was for the Padres, even though it did not take get anywhere near the publicity as the Darvish and Snell deals, Joe Musgrove comes in and becomes the eighth pitcher in the modern era to throw a no-hitter in his first or second start with the team. That is from ESPN Stats and Info. Last pitcher to do so, Clay Buckholds with your Red Sox in 2007. Uh, awesome to see the Padres finally get one. Yeah, I I mean, it is so cool. If you haven't listened to Don Arcillo's yes. call of it, go and do that, the Padres Definitely. announcer. I mean... Another thing that you could talk about in a negative way, injuries, right? Mm-hmm. Tatis, Eloy Jimenez, Bellinger's on the aisle, like I mentioned. Kyle Lewis is on the aisle. Donaldson, you could go on and on. But, man, other guys are stepping up on the Padres. Hosmer is stepping up. Drake Cronenworth has played very, very well. Hassan Kim has played very, very well. Nobody has played better than Joe Musgrove, and that is exactly the story that makes baseball so awesome. I watched the last few innings, so cool, so composed, and then when that last play, I I genuinely cannot imagine the stress. A pitcher, first and foremost, and then everybody else on the field 
and in the stands must feel when a ball is put in play, when we're down to the last <laughs> six outs, three outs, etc. Man, that is just a cool way to end it. And, of course, the only reason why it wasn't a perfect game is because he hit a batter in the fourth inning, I think. So he was that close, but still such a historical moment. Yeah, it was great. So I think Tim Kirchin brought this up earlier this week. Now the last team waiting for some sort of milestone like a no-hitter, the Miami Marlins still do not have a cycle, which is bizarre Weird. think about a cycle. Uh, but yeah, they they are the only organization now without a no hitter or a cycle. Wow. Well, excuse me. They have a no hitter. They do not have a cycle. That was worded poorly. Huh. But. I w- didn't expect that at all. No, very I didn't random. either. So so thank you very much, uh, Tim Kirchin, for that one. Cool. Yeah, that was that was a really really cool story and the home yes. ground aspect of it and coming over from the Pirates. Very very cool. It's awesome. All right, you ready for this? Let's do it. I know where this is going. The Red Sox are on an absolute tear, Patrick, and they are the most valuable team in the MLB right now in Major League Baseball. The Red Sox are on fire. According to, uh, I believe it is ESPN Stats and Info, actually, maybe Elias, they are the first team since the 1991 Mariners to begin the season with three losses, they were swept by the Orioles in the mm-hmm. opening series, and now they have won seven straight games. In that seven-game win streak, their starters have a 3-5-5 ERA. They've given up just 15 runs in 38 innings. The offense is exactly where you want it to be. Rafael Devers is literally in elite company right now. Babe Ruth and Ted Williams home run company. GD Martinez is in the top three in almost every single offensive category. Hits, extra base hits, runs, RBIs, homers, all of it. This team, this, what they've done so far has embodied what the ceiling of this team is. When their starters are really good, when Nathan Avaldi is healthy, when Eduardo Rodriguez is healthy, there's been one poor starting so far, which has been Garrett Richards against the Orioles. Mm-hmm. That's been a thing of the past at this point. The bullpen has been so good. People are talking about Matt Barnes resembling a 2018 Craig Kimbrell. Oof. It's crazy to see it all coming together like this. And when it's so high, especially how low my expectations were and a lot of other Red Sox fans' expectations, just because the amount of turmoil and turnover that this team has experienced in the past few years, the Red Sox are looking pretty good right now. It has even raised my hopes for them potentially competing for a wild card spot. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm very impressed because I was very low on right. the Red Sox going into the season, and it mostly revolved around their pitching. You know, I just didn't looked at that rotation, and I can't say I was overly impressed. Me neither. And, Right now, at least on ERA-wise, they're sitting at league average. And you know what? That's I think that's what they should be shooting for. I'm not sure they're going to get much better than that from their staff. But if they're going to hit like the way they're hitting through these last now seven games, I think league average will be okay for them. Yeah. And what it does is makes that division even more intriguing. So we know yeah. the Yankees are going to be there, even though I... Listen, I've talked about it at length. I hate their pitching staff. Not dislike. I hate their pitching staff. Yeah. And I think it's very scary what they're actually going into with. I think the Blue Jays are a fun team to watch. I think the Rays have a lot of variability and have a potential for regression. We know what Baltimore is. I hope Boston 
Stay, I, listen, they're not going to obviously win and you know, go on seven game winning streaks all the time, but I hope they're there because I just think it'll make things so much more intriguing with them back in the race. Yeah, I don't love the laughter when you said that. But. <laughs> it looks because it's a surprise for me. No, I, it is. I, it I is. thought Boston was in big trouble going into the season. I really did. I was low on them. I, I The pitching staff still makes me a little nervous. I love Rafael Devers. I think Bogarts is a star, um, but I felt like I was seeing just maybe a little too much being put into like the Bobby Dahlbecks of the world yes. to, to be able to carry like a Red Sox offense. But you're seeing J.D. Martinez bounce back, I believe. I may be wrong on this, but I think he became the th- one of the only players ever to now have three home runs with three separate teams in a single yes. game, which yes. is a really cool stat. Um, Sox offense is on right now, and yeah. that that is what is going to carry them. I think this pitching staff's not going to be great. but He was also one of the few players ever to have – I think it was eight extra base hits in every or an extra base hit in eight straight games or something yeah, crazy that's like so that. Hard he, to just do. offensive tear. See, so two things. My expectations for this offense were slightly lower than what they are now, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I knew this team could hit. They had one of the best offenses in the league last year, and it was their pitching that wasn't there. And the same with you. I didn't have high expectations for this pitching staff. But honestly, I have a lot of respect and admiration for Hyam Bloom right now. Yes. Because what he has done is he has created depth. Tanner Houck, in three years, could be the best pitcher on this Red Sox staff. And he was just demoted back to the minors because Eduardo Rodriguez came off of the IL. So to have a piece that valuable who has already proven how successful he can be on the big league mound, just waiting in the wings because there isn't a roster spot for him right now, that's pretty good. And the other thing is that it's one thing to hit really well against Matt Harvey. I know that hurts you, but it's true. <laughs> it does, but it is true. <laughs> it's one thing to hit really well against the the Orioles and even against the Rays when they don't have the pitching staff that they used to have with Snell and Morton. It's another thing to have the Twins this week and go up against Barrios, yep. Maeda, and a lot of the pitching bullpen that the Twins have. I'm missing, who's their third starter? Maeda, uh, Barrios, and they have Michael Pineda this week, yes, too, Yes, who think. Pineda, and Pineda's pitching very well right now for them. Yeah, and even Jay Happ. So the, this is a legitimate AL playoff contender. The Red Sox went out and got a win on Tuesday. That's a good sign. The offense is still there. Bobby Dahlbeck finally had an RBI, so suck it, Pat. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> but yeah, he has had a really slow start. But if the Red Sox can perform well against a serious AL competitor like the Twins with their really good pitching staff and their good offense and defense, then I think it's a more realistic measuring stick for where the Red Sox are and if they can compete down the stretch. I think it's fair. I, I'll say their start has tipped my interest in them. I'd like yes. to be able to check back in with them and say another two weeks and see how okay. that's going. But <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Yeah, I say I, I think it's a little bit of smoke and mirrors right now with them, okay. but it's better than what I thought, and I think they're going to be even better than what I thought going into the season, and that's huge. So that's all. That's all any team yeah. and fan can hope for, right? 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 Just be exactly. slightly better. Nathan Avaldi, great Stud. waiver wire pickup for me as well. Look at, looking good right now. Looking real good. Looks very good. Yeah. All right, so that was fun. We're still so early on, but there are, we could talk baseball every single day we and have an hour could. podcast every single week. But yes. make sure to check out our debut episode of Weekly Walk-Off that got released last Friday, and then we'll have another one. I believe I'm doing this one solo that'll S- be released this Friday. 
yeah, we're pumped to get that thing started last week. Disappointed to have to miss out on this week, but be back at it next week with you. Yeah, we got we got a lot more weeks. Oh, we yeah, exactly. I think we're gonna be okay, but yeah, we will. <laughs> it'll be fun. All right, now drum roll, please. The biggest news of the week: mm. Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels are returning to Villanova University. Yeah, that was the worst thing possible for everyone else in the Big East to hear. Um, yes. <laughs> because this Villanova team just goes from one that, you know, it's got some experience years-wise. You know, you're mm. going to have, you know, Justin Moore as a junior, Brian Antoine as a junior, Daniels, this would have been his third year in the program. This would have been Eric Dixon's third year in the program. Like, there are some guys that have been around. But you just don't have the battle-tested nature, you know, kind of going into that lineup, especially with Jeremiah Robinson Earl as well going out. You bring back Colin Gillespie as the lead ball handler. You know, now have Jermaine Samuels as a wing, which actually, flashing forward, I don't think he's going to play as a wing. I think he is going to be full on front court with how mm. this team is going to be best kind of suited this year. They're the favorite in the Big East now when it was possible that there was going to be a little flux there. They're going to be a top five team preseason nationally, and they're going to have one of the highest odds or one of the lowest odds to win a national championship next year. It yeah. This... It cannot be understated. It cannot be overstated <laughs> how important it is to have these two guys back. Agree, agree, and agree. I thought you were just going to say Big East favorite because no, that no, no, is no, not no, even no. close to what this this ceiling can be. Yep. The other thing is that the fr- the freshman class, the recru- recruiting class coming in is obviously very highly touted. Number super three excited, in the country. Super excited about those guys. But you and I have mentioned it before. Jay Wright doesn't like to rely on his freshmen. And I think we would have seen a lot of reliance on the freshmen mm-hmm. this upcoming year if Jermaine and Colin hadn't returned. With their return, I think everyone can just breathe a sigh of relief. You There's might see a be... red shirt or two as well. Yeah, you're going to see more development for the younger guys, more time to develop in this system. And I think you could say the same about the guys in the system right now. More time for Brian Antoine to come on. Even more time for Caleb Daniels to finally adjust and figure out what his place on this team is. No Cole Swider. I don't think we've mentioned it on the pod. That's true. Swider transferred to Syracuse because... Great fit, by the way. Yeah, it's a great fit. I think he'll get much more playing time there. The roster was getting pretty crowded. I mean, at that point, we pretty much knew it was a done deal that Gillespie and Samuels were going to return when Swider left. But I'm just really excited for the amount of options Wright will have next year, especially because that was probably Villanova's downfall in the tournament, just not having enough guys to turn to in games that really mattered. No, I, I agree with you. And the, the, the biggest thing out of it is Villanova has their ball handler now. And that's yeah. not an insult against Chris Archidiacono, who I think did a, a wonderful job filling in. But to be able to have Colin Gillespie as your floor general, as your ball handler, someone you really trust with the ball, doesn't turn the ball over, you know can make his own shot, you know can knock down a three, <laughs> it transforms the whole offense. Yeah. And we talked about how much better they looked on defense with him on the floor many times throughout the season as well. Uh, this is huge for the ceiling of this team. What I will say is that it will not surprise me if there's another transfer out of the program mm. before the, the season starts up again with these two coming back. Because think about it. You've got these two coming back. You've got four freshmen coming in. That's a big freshman class for Villanova. I would not be surprised if there's at least one more name that leaves the program. Who do you think? <laughs> isn't that the question who are you anticipating uh, i don't want to speculate fully but i think guard is a way to lo- is a place to look 
Okay. Um, just because I don't think there's a ton of front court depth on this team. It's kind yes. of it's Eric Dixon. You know, it's Jermaine Samuels, who I think is basically going to be a power forward this year, and honestly mm-hmm. can get some moments moments get some minutes as a auxiliary center. Uh, and then Trey, Njoku coming in. It's Njoku and Trey Patterson then as kind yeah. of larger guys. Njoku, I believe, six nine. Trey Patterson is a six seven wing, if I'm remembering off the top of my head. So mm-hmm. it's there's a lot of smaller guys on the team. It's it's how Jay's going to want to work that rotation for the bigger ones. We're back to guard you. It's what it looks like. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I'm so, so happy those two guys are coming back. And I'm going to say it now. I truly don't think Gillespie would have come back without the hopes of winning the national championship because that Mm -hmm. is a legitimate hope, maybe even expectation at this point. They are definitely in the top echelon of programs with the usual Gonzaga, Baylor, UVA, Kansas, Duke, UNC, you know, et cetera, the Blue Bloods that we don't believe in anymore. (laughs) Um, He's also going to go for player of the year. Definitely. Would an award 100% in view. Yes. Yes. And I don't think it, I mean, that's not a hot take. That's not a controversial no. thing. That is something Colin Gillespie is going to go after. And I think he was going after it before his injury. So as long as he recovers adequately, I think Samuels could have another huge breakout year. We saw this year, more so than ever, how good this team can be when hmm. Samuels is a major player. And I'm so excited to watch them next year. It's funny you mention that because, yes, Gillespie's the one who's going to get all the press, and he deserves it because he's going to be one of the front runners for the Wooden Award. Yeah. But to watch Jermaine Samuels, kind of the second half of the season, really turn it up and, you know, turn into the player that I think a lot of us had really hoped he would turn into where he took the right shots. When he shot it, he shot at a strong percentage. He's such a good rebounder. He's one of the team's best defenders. And you now add him back for another year as well. Uh, Gillespie is the one who's going to get most of the focus. He's the one we focused on to start. But Jermaine coming back as well is just absolutely massive. Huge. Huge. And for these freshmen to have Gillespie and Samuels to work under and to work against is huge for their development. That could honestly be an X factor when they're juniors or seniors because it's what Gillespie had with Brunson. It's it just is. it's such a cool train of of mentors and and the attitude, right? So cool. Yeah, that's it. And b- before we move on, just one thing if you want a person to dream a little bit. The Sweet 16 and the Elite 8. One of the locations is Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You're kidding. I kid you not. Wow. So something. Might have to book my calendar. Villanova gets a one seed. Vaccinations are rolling out. We're about a year from now. Uh, Things could be interesting. That is really cool. Just throwing that out there. There's a lot that needs to happen to get them there. But it is a possibility. Positive pet. Yes. Let's see more of him. That's right. We're, We're trying. Wells Fargo tickets. We're trying. <laughs> All right. So my craziest number of the week. This is my unfortunate one. It's, I'm going to the NBA. It's four. And that's because the Nuggets, the Denver Nuggets, who are looking to win the West. They're looking to be one of the top tier teams in the Western Conference. They are now one step farther away. But four, mm-hmm. the Nuggets have the fourth best offensive rating in the league, in the entire National Basketball Association. How can they compete without Jamal Murray? That's yep. what I've been asking myself all day long. It's so unfortunate. Murray went down on Monday night with a torn ACL. He won't be back this year. Maybe if we're lucky and he recovers well, we'll see him next year. 
but I'm just going to go through some of these numbers quickly. Murray's averaging just over 21 points per game. That's a career high, nearly five assists. His, his expected field goal percentage is just under 56%, which is 53rd best in the entire league. He also averages 35 and a half minutes per game. You remember him from his exceptional performance in the bubble last year. Yes. Huge, huge blow for Denver. And I'm not sure Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic can do it on their own. I would agree with you. I, I think this was the big blow for them. It hurts Which so much. Sucks. It, it sucks. It does. J- Jamal Murray is such a stud. You know, he's such a... I talk about all the time how much in basketball I love my guards to be finishers. He is a great finisher yeah. around the rim. He loves to use his body in, in, down there. It, it's... It was it was really disappointing to see that he went down with a torn ACL because it, it definitely thins out the West a little bit. And listen, Jokic yeah. is incredible, but without Murray, I'm not sure that they can be a real contender. That's kind of how I feel. And I felt like things were getting a little bit more positive. AD's coming back soon. Mm-hmm. Katie is back in the East. None, none of the other injuries are coming to the top of my head right now. But some guys were coming back and as we're making this NBA Finals push. And you see Jamal Murray went down. James Wiseman went down with a torn meniscus, I think, yeah. late last week. Yes. It just stinks. It just really stinks to see it happen, especially Murray, too, coming off of such an insane couple of games in the bubble last year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it's disappointing for the league. So we'll, yeah. we'll see how Denver is able to continue from there. Yeah. All right. Uh, give us some some positive news. Yeah. So my number is one, which is a number I like to give from time to time because it signifies the first of something, and that is the same here as one is the that Hideki Matsuyama is the first golfer from Japan to win the Masters. What a performance from Matsuyama to come home with that green jacket, especially on Saturday where he really put some distance between him and the field. Definitely found a way to make things interesting on Sunday. <laughs> yes. But, but I had a ton of fun watching Matsuyama. He has been one of the better players on tour for a while now. He also tied for second at the 2017 PGA Championship. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see him get this for himself. And then, of course, it is so cool with Japan to get it. As I said, first golfer from Japan, as they noted on CBS, about a billion times on Sunday. The Olympics will happen to be <laughs> there this that? summer. Yeah, if you yeah. watch the Masters, I think that was kind of drilled into your head at this point. So the Olympics will be there this summer. It's just a really cool you know, coincidence that that happened. And I'm very happy for Hideki Matsuyama. Again, been one of the more consistent, better players on tour for a while. Gets his major and it ends up as a green jacket. Yeah, and just to give some props to Greg Welsh, who came on last week, he didn't mm. specifically mention Matsuyama, but he talked about elite iron players having success. Justin Rose played well all weekend yes, long and, and Thursday, Friday, and Hideki Matsuyama is known for his iron play. There's a cool trend now where very good putters haven't necessarily been the guys to win out at the Masters. It's been some kind of, not random names because DJ won last year, but not necessarily elite putters are still making their way through this course victorious. And players talked about it all weekend long, how much pressure there is on the one guy himself to go out and win. Imagine the pressure Matsuyama felt for his entire country to go out and win for Japan. It was so cool. And my favorite moment that made me well up a little bit was when his caddy, Oh, so cool. Bowed to the course. That was so, so cool. 
It, it was awesome. It, it really was, especially seeing that. Just the respect the, between the two of them and how great this was. Also very cool to see he's just like us in the airport the next yeah, day. Yeah, that you know, was just, cool. <laughs> just walking through the airport with his mask and a green jacket draped over his uh, draped over the seat next to him was, yeah. was honestly really funny. And as you say, for, for putters, you know, let's look at it this way too. Bryson DeChambeau, you know, he's going to play par 67 at the mm-hmm. Masters and try and overpower the course. That has not, not happened now two Masters in a row. <laughs> so, you would think it would have humbled him by now. Yeah, he said he was going to pummel the course, um, and th- the course kind of pummeled him. Uh, yeah. So, it, as you said, it's more of a finesse status really works. I mean, we're saying that in Dustin Johnson, who of course, won it in November and dominated there with a long drive, but very cool to see Hideki Matsuyama win this. Yeah, it was fun. And one of my pet peeves about big sporting events is when the ratings come out. Mm-hmm. And the ratings came out today, and it was, I think, the least watched Masters ever. And then, honestly, I can't stand when stuff like that happens and people overreact. Because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Think about how historical this win was for everybody we just mentioned, for Matsuyama, for his country, for the entire field, for Will Zalatoris, mm-hmm. who in his first time at the Masters came in second place there were so many things that you could take away from this. The fact that it happened in COVID and everybody was okay. Let's not focus on it being the least watched Masters. Let's not focus on the fact that Tiger Woods wasn't there, unfortunately, and a lot of big names didn't make the cut and it wasn't the most star-studded top 10. It was still really cool for a lot of those guys, and it did get interesting in the last few hours on Sunday. Could not agree more. The, The ratings thing really bothers me, too. Yeah. Um, so let's just enjoy that it was a great Masters. <laughs> yes, that's how I feel about it. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we said <laughs> Pat and I do this every single week. Yeah, we're we like, really oh did. man, it's kind of a slow week. Probably will be a shorter one, and we're at over in a min- an hour and one minute. Didn't expect that. Just kidding. We always talk more than we think we're going to. You give us baseball, and things get dangerous real quick. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. Yes. And Villanova, I mean, really. <laughs> Good point. No, definitely. Cool. So we are going to get into best of then before we wrap up. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's go general here. I completely forgot about best of. Sorry. No. Um, favorite TV show. And if you have to give me a few, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll do it really quick just to be cognizant of time here. But I, I'll say I have a top three, and it's okay. an interesting type of show. So I, I go away from the comedies here. I'm, I'm a huge drama type really? of tv person oh yeah so i'd say my favorite shows ever two political shows scandal a former abc mm-hmm. show adore olivia pope and all that uh west wing which is an older show with you know president uh, jed bartlett was incredible and then the third one is a current show still going on on nbc the blacklist um, interesting yeah top three i just i love drama i love turns i love trying to guess what happens next uh, it's, it's a lot of fun for me, so that's what I look for in a TV show, at least. So yeah. those would be my top three. You're going to now make me sound very petty and no, no. <laughs> not smart in my TV show choices because mine are Friends, The Office, and One Tree Hill. I love it. See, no, no, no. You just take a different approach to it. Because listen, yes. my, my my girlfriend Megan makes fun of me for it all the time. Because she's like, can, can you just shut your brain off and enjoy a yeah. television show instead of trying to picture everything and figure out what happens but no i can't because i'm a psycho so yeah i, love I remember picks. how big scandal was though. i love scandal, scandal was oh, huge I love scandal. are they still making new episodes no, no scandal's done yeah. now yeah scandal and west wing are done blacklist is still going so do you watch black blacklist when it premieres 
No, like, I'll rec- on, like a Tuesday night. I'll I'll record it and then watch okay. it. I do not watch live. The only thing I watch live are sports. Okay, and The Bachelor for me. <laughs> but that's funny because so rarely now people watch the shows live. Yeah, it's maybe I don't. like Grey's Anatomy and This Is Us are the only big ones off the top of my head. Those are the ones that my mom and my sister watch. But yeah, that does doesn't really happen anymore. People no. used to do that for Scandal. Yep. But, TG, TGIT was what it was called on yes. those Thursday nights with ABC. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yes. Oh, good call. Wow, yes. TGIT. No, I, I think oh. Grey's was on with that too. I've never seen Grey's Anatomy, but I Me I neither. It was, was Grey's and now they have Station 19. Yeah, all those shows. Yeah, so no, ABC usually puts out some good stuff. I mean, they're owned by Disney, so there you go. Yeah, I'm but, very much the mindless TV. That's good. I can't, do, I can't do any medical shows. I don't have the stomach for any of that. <laughs> Or I, I was nervous you were going to say Law and Order or SVU no, or something. No, 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 those no, are no, way no. too, too so scary. For those me. can be a little too over the top for me yeah. as well. As I'm saying that though with the blacklist, which can definitely get to that territory. Um, yeah, but but the dra- I can I can understand the drama and having a little bit of, of action. I love yeah. it. I love thrillers like that. I like twisting my mind and trying to figure out where yeah. things are going. Those are the so. type of books I like to read. Oh, same here. Yeah, yeah definitely. Cool. Awesome. No, I'm glad we got to do that. So uh, as Emma said, if you leave a rating, you can send in a uh, best of for us uh, and leave your name. Let's say that. that. That's very important. Um, <laughs> you can send in a best of for us to do and participate in that. So yeah, that would sweet. be fun. Awesome. Well, that will do it here for us then on the Did You Hear podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify and subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. As I said, please leave a rating as well as it really, really helps us out. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Did You Hear Pod to let us know what you think. You can interact with us there and we'll always post the show. But otherwise, Emma, that's a wrap. 